welcome to Triad Warriors. I am your host, Annie Randall, and this is a safe space for real talk regarding all things Jesus, mental health, and of course, your relationship with food. Welcome back to the Enneagram in Food series. With us today, we have a guest who just so happens to also be one of my husband's good friends. We have Alex Osler. I am very much looking forward to today's episode because one, there is never a dull moment with Alex Osler, and two, I'm excited to hear what insights Alex has to share with all of us. With that said, Alex is an Enneagram type five, hence why he's on the episode today. As I mentioned, he and I first met through my husband, Adam. Adam and Alex went to college together where they both lived in houses of like 12 guys in Bellingham, Washington. That sounds like a lot of, a lot of guys under one roof. I've heard many of stories from that. In addition, Alex and Adam recently lived together with a few other guys prior to Adam and I getting married, and that's how I met Alex. Alex is a ping pong master, a spike ball enthusiast, a taquito lover. He is an engineer and a natural strategizer. He and Adam tell the worst, or should I say best, dad jokes, and they always like to give me a hard time. In fact, Alex has this running joke where he likes to call food superfoods when he's around me, mostly because he knows my uh, disapproval for the word, and I'm pretty sure this is a joke that'll never die. Alex has a unique style and based on the questionnaire that he filled out, Alex's type 5 personality certainly plays a role in his relationship with food, which we will talk about here in a couple of minutes. But before we get started, is there anything that you would like to say to the listeners, Alex? Uh, Hi, I'm Alex. That's it. <laughs> That's all he's got. <laughs> no uh, new revelations for everyone. <laughs> awesome. Well, we'll just go ahead and get started. As I already mentioned, Alex is an Enneagram Type 5. Enneagram Type 5s are known by a multitude of names, including the investigator, the thinker, and the observer. Enneagram Type 5s are also described as curious, independent, and observant in their behaviors. The greatest desire for a type five is to be capable and competent, whereas the greatest fear is of being useless, helpless, or incapable. From my understanding, type fives want to possess knowledge and they want to understand how things work. That said, I don't wanna go too far in describing the type five from a theoretical perspective, as Alex will do a much better job explaining the type five from an experiential perspective. So let's not get into the relationship with food part yet, but how would you describe your experiences with living in this world as a type five, Alex? Man, that's a good question. Uh, I think your description was pretty accurate. Uh, I feel like for me, I'm always strategizing in some way and Mm -hmm. always thinking, definitely curious. That plays a big role in things and I question like, Oh, maybe it was growing up doing sports or especially the sports I did mm-hmm. growing up and or playing a lot of tennis and whatever it may be. Um, yeah, I feel like I'm always strategizing about like everything like, oh, yeah. who do I spend time with? How much time do I spend with this person, that person? Thinking through all of your decisions and through everything, thinking through things I shouldn't think through like yeah. feelings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I think I'm supposed to just 
feel things and instead I feel something and go, I shut shut down this feeling. What am I feeling? Why? Oh, okay. What should I do yeah. about it? Which makes me good at making decisions in a lot of times, like okay. calm decisions or to sports, like knowing, like being good at making decisions mm-hmm. in like key moments or high pressure moments, but yeah. Yeah, not letting those emotions kind of get in the way. Yeah. Right. But then, yeah. <laughs> you have your moments. Weakness. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that's how things usually yeah. work, right? Our strengths also become our biggest weakness. Because, like, it's, it's good sometimes to not let emotions uh, fuel our decisions. But other times, we have to feel those emotions. So. Right. Or even when it's like, oh, I might not. I might not feel this, but Mm -hmm. someone else will. And I need to take that into account when it's like, maybe it's communicating something and I just communicate it in a more blunt way than I should, because it's like, oh, I should have taken into account the emotional reaction this person would add to that. It's an important factor too. So it's like, yeah, (laughs) you think through that. Yeah. That's a lot to have to think through. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel like there's a lot of overthinking then often? Is that yeah. where the biggest weakness yeah. oh, part yeah. comes in? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I overthink. I overthink every... I've overthought overthinking before, so... Oh, <laughs> that's when you know it's like yeah. when you have anxiety about having anxiety. You <laughs> overthink overthinking. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, is overthinking really such a bad thing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Start to weigh the pros and cons <laughs> of overthinking in your head. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then also... What, what do you do for work? Yeah, I'm an engineer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that definitely makes sense as a type five with the strategy and yeah. understanding oh, yeah. how things work. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I kind of always knew I wanted to do engineering. Like even in middle school, I was looking at a route to do engineering. So mm, okay. not common for most people. Yeah, no, I feel like middle schoolers usually want to be like astronauts yeah. or... <laughs> Or police officers or movie stars. <laughs> even was it the average college student changes their major like two or three times. Yeah. So And you were just there for I it. was there, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good to know what you want. And sounds like it's something that you're good at, so that works. Cool. Um, so how would you describe your relationship with food and in what ways have the characteristics of your personality type influenced your relationship with food? Huh. That's a good question. <laughs> Hitting you with oh, all the good ones. Man. Uh, the first half of that, how would I describe my relationship with food? I feel like strangely passionate for someone. I feel like I'm not a very passionate person normally, but with food. Uh-huh. Well, I don't even know if I'd say food. I'd say my taste buds. Okay. I'm a pretty picky eater. And okay, on top yeah. of that, I feel like I just taste things really strongly. I don't know if this is like, I don't know if there's any science to back this up or if it's just what I'm feeling. But, yeah. <laughs> but I feel like the things I don't like, I dislike more than the average person. And things okay. I like, I enjoy much more than the average person. And so, yeah. Which so extreme because, polars yeah, on extreme those. Extreme polars, which is weird because I'm normally very, and just about mm-hmm. every other aspect of life, very like calm in the middle. Yeah, I don't really mm-hmm. have fluctuations much. So, um, and what's the second half of that? How does my personality type influence, influence your relationship with food? Yeah. Oh man, <laughs> I've, li- I've looked at these questions and still don't know how to answer that. <laughs> well, you talked about like the strategizing yeah. and all that sort of stuff. Um, so that could certainly have a 
role yeah, in that it. definitely influences what I eat, mm-hmm. how much of it I eat. I feel like overthinking it too, it can be pretty easy to get, I have to be pretty conscious about like, oh, I'm starting to feel, again, being in, again, always thinking through my emotions means mm-hmm. I'm very good at recognizing what I'm feeling. So it's like, oh, like, I can get self-conscious about like, oh, maybe I'm not eating the most healthy and like, that's not good. And then I have yeah. to be like, no, no, but like, now this is also negatively impacting my mental health. So yeah. I can't let that happen. Yeah. There's like that balance yeah. of, we, we've actually even said it at the house where I've said that there's some foods are good for your body and other foods are good <laughs> yeah. for your soul. You guys all ate that up because <laughs> now you call certain foods soul food. And... I said I, I have a big soul and a yeah. small body. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you are very soulful as I have heard. <laughs> But there is that balance between wanting to honor your health and then also honoring the other aspects of health, which include mental health and right. social health and all those other more fun parts of food. Right. Yeah. I yeah. can't let something that's negatively impacting, impacting my physical health also negatively impact my mental health because then it's like that's too negative. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to kill two birds with right. one stone in that way. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> Not efficient in that way. Right. Yeah. Anything else you can think of for that question? No, not right now. Cool. Uh, So you mentioned that you're an analytical person and you love understanding how things work. As you describe some of those aspects of your personality uh, appear in food strategy. I'm also curious though, as to whether those aspects appear in your cooking. For example, do you ever research or investigate specific cuisines, recipes, foods, or perhaps even food uh, processes? And if yes, what does that look like for you? Yes. Yes. (laughs) All of the above. Uh, When I was in college, I took a class called Design of Experiments and Data Analysis. Uh Uh-huh. And for the final project, we had to use an experimental design to test the effect of multi or the effect of changing multiple factors on the outcome on mm-hmm. one or more outputs. And what I did was I called it the tater tot lab. And what the I did is I tested um, bake versus broil and temperature and cook time on the effects of how crunchy tater tots are and so like but i do that with like every like yeah i, I really enjoy cooking at some point i was uh-huh. like okay if i'm going to eat this food i should at least figure out how to make it well so that i can like if i'm like oh if I, i'm having mac and cheese like once a week or whatever yeah. it may be i should make my own recipe instead of having craft because that's much better um yeah i, I hear I you you yeah. found the perfect recipe I crafted it over time. I, I, it took looking at a lot of different recipes, uh-huh. basically making each one and mixing and matching and being like, oh, this one has garlic salt and this one doesn't. This is the effect that garlic salt has and being like, figuring out kind of what each yeah. ingredient and each variable does and the, the grand scheme of things. And yeah, yeah. I always do that. I, I really enjoy, I really enjoy cooking more mm-hmm. so than actually eating food, but figure out what's good and what's not yeah and learn without having any sort of teaching Mm -hmm. done to me but just me trying to learn from scratch so Mm. yeah it sounds like you find a lot of uh like entertainment in cooking 
Like, it's very interesting for you. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, you must have made a lot of mac and cheese in your life to be able to test how garlic salt impacts <laughs> mac and cheese. <laughs> That's really awesome, though. And I, I basically never make it the same way twice. Once okay. I have a set recipe, I'll try. So, like, with my mac and cheese, uh-huh. well, mac and cheese maybe isn't the best example. But, like, with my mac and cheese recipe, mm-hmm. it'll be, like, Next time I make it, I might, like, last time I made it, I added, like, a different meat to it. And then okay. next time I make it, I might add, like, veggies of some sort. And okay. Maybe mix and match those at some point. And That's awesome. So. I have to go back. What was the uh, tater tot results? Do you remember from your experiment? Um, let's see here. I believe time and temperature were both statistically significant and boil broil versus Bake was not. Oh, broil versus bake was not yeah. significant. It wasn't, but I think it's because I was testing. It was for the same amount of cook time, so it's okay. like, oh, I'm cooking it for 30 minutes on bake versus 30 minutes on broil isn't going to have a super significant mm-hmm. effect. Okay, that and makes broil sense. Broil will normally just cook one side. Yeah, it won't get both side. sides. Nice. Well, that's interesting. <laughs> That's awesome that you take that um, kind of desire for knowledge and understand how things work and make the most delicious possible recipes. I've also seen you make pretty good burritos too. <laughs> I make really big burritos. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, cool. So on the survey, you talked a lot about time and laziness. That said, what, quote, laziness. (laughs) That said, what are the roles of time and, let's say, motivation in your eating patterns? For example, do you adjust the amount or types of foods you eat when you're short on time? Yes. Uh, All of these above. Uh, Especially if I'm doing an activity afterwards. So if it's like, oh, I just got off workout four and I'm going to go play Mm -hmm. spike ball at six. I'm not going to eat something really heavy like mac and yeah. cheese or yeah. whatever it may be. I'll, I'll go with something lighter, like I might do like pot stickers and rice. Something that won't sit like a lump of bricks in my stomach when I yeah. run around. Something that's going to actually help you to perform yeah. well, but not right. throw up. <laughs> right. And I learned a little bit about when I, when I was younger, I did swimming. I swam pretty competitively and... I trained with Ryan Lofty's coach, and he kind of knew a lot about a lot of science stuff involving sports, and so I learned a little bit about, like... Sports nutrition? Yeah, like, the the night before, like, a big event or a big sports event, like, Mm -hmm. you normally want to carbo-load, because if you, like, if you eat meat, it'll, like, keep your body up all night. And carbs are primary source of energy, so... Yeah. And then at some point, I also found through... I I used to play a lot of tennis, and I found that... I would, no matter what I ate, I would start getting hungry by the end of my three-hour practice unless okay. I had three bananas. Just three bananas, which Whoa. isn't that much food, but if I had three bananas, I'd be, yeah, solid for the entire That's so interesting. Practice. Yeah. It was really strange. Well, yeah. I mean, bananas are mostly carbs and, like, quick source of carb energy, right. so that does make sense. Like, that's one of the... One of the top foods I usually um, recommend for eating before exercise is banana. So, but yeah, three is odd. a very specific number. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, yeah, two wouldn't do it. And I mean, I guess I could have four, mm-hmm. but I'd want to conserve my bananas. But yeah, c- gotta conserve the bananas. But it's just weird that. Yeah. It just, I didn't think it would last the full three hours, but it yeah. did every time. 
that's a yeah a really long time to go with like activity and not eating but um yeah uh let's see i think you also had said something on your survey about this but i can't remember what you said do you have anything else to add to that question um not much i think laziness also plays a factor mm. i'm feeling pretty lazy i won't cook a meal and then yeah I'll just have like a frozen food, but I try yeah. not to do that. Yeah. Oh, I remember what you had said. You were talking about how if you have like, are in a rush, like going to work or something right. that that like impacts the frozen meals. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yes, it does. I, yeah, I don't always have time to cook. That's the issue. As much as I enjoy cooking, mm-hmm. it's pretty rare actually that which is odd because I'm a very lazy person, but it's pretty rare that I go, oh, I don't want to cook. Yeah. Uh, like I don't feel like cooking. It's just that sometimes I'll feel like there's something else I want to do more. But normally it's a time thing or it's a, oh, I'm hungry, but like I have a friend over right now, so I'll just eat a snack and then like mm-hmm. have something more when they leave or That makes sense. Be, so. That kind of strategy and thinking through things pl- sounds like it plays a role there too. Yes. <laughs> yes, it does. That's awesome. Uh, so on the survey, you also mentioned having a hatred for grocery shopping, <laughs> which probably ties into this last question. So can you expand on that experience and explain the ways in which your aversion to grocery shopping uh, impacts your eating patterns? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, I don't know why. I just very much just like the grocery store and always yeah. have, which is, again, I, I said that I'm normally a pretty, like, calm, level-headed, not very exaggerated. The grocery t- grocery store is one time where I feel very exaggerated emotions. Oh, yeah. Usually emotions of displeasure and hate for some oh, reason. Oh, no. <laughs> I always feel like I'm wasting my time whenever I'm at the grocery store. Mm-hmm. So you could I, be doing something better. I normally, I literally get to a point where I strategize, like, Oh, I want to. I want to go spend as little time in the grocery store as possible. Yeah. So that'll impact what order I eat things in, which uh-huh. is probably the strangest thing about my diet is that I tend to eat things in bulk and I tend to do one thing at a time. So over okay. the course of a month, I'll have the same variety as everyone else does, but over okay. the course of a week, I'll have like zero variety, and people are always like, "That's so weird." You, you, like, if I were going to have mac and cheese, what I'd do is I'd have mac and cheese, like, four times in a row, like, four days oh, wow. in a row, and yeah. I wouldn't have it for the rest of the month. And so it's like, okay, you have mac and cheese four times over the course of a month. That's not crazy. And it's like, oh, yeah, mac and cheese four, four days, days in, a in a row. Yeah. And I do that just to limit what items go bad. So I basically do it based on, like, mm-hmm. if something requires milk in its recipe, I usually do that first. And then, yeah. like, I save the frozen foods for last after I've gone through all the food that perishes quickly so honestly in uh covid land that like two years ago start of pandemic that's how everyone started shopping you already had like the head start on that (laughs) (laughs) you're like i've been doing this for years i've been doing it for a while yeah yeah (laughs) just has to do with your hatred for the grocery store i'm pretty sure that's one of the first we were talking about this earlier one of the first facts i learned about alex was that you hate the grocery store that adam told me yeah alex only shops like once a month i hate the grocery store and i hate wet clothing 
Oh. Those are both very well-known facts. Very well-known. Well, I did not know the wet clothing one, but I guess I do now. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so when do you when you go to a restaurant, what do you typically order? Are you a creature of habit, or do you like to venture out and try new things? Yeah, definitely a creature of habit. Yeah. I basically always order the same thing or the same. Mm-hmm. I basically go through my list of favorite foods and order the highest going up. So okay. Like, like if mac and cheese is near the top of my list and it's like, oh, they don't have mac and cheese and I'll go to like spaghetti or something or whatever. It may okay. Be. Um, and partially the reason I do that is mm-hmm. because I really like comparing different restaurants. I can get a pretty good gauge of how good a restaurant is based off of how it compares to other restaurants. Okay. Or like, oh, like I know that. Ferrara's Bistro in Vancouver has really good mac and cheese. Mm-hmm. And, and then like Montage, well, it doesn't exist anymore, I don't think. But it was a possible place in Portland. And it's okay. Like they have pretty good mac and cheese. But it's like, I know Ferrara's Bistro is probably nicer than Montage. Okay. And it's more, it's based on more than just the atmosphere. It's based on the quality of food. Yeah. So yeah. I kind of have some benchmarks that I do for... What you're going to order and right. where you're going to order it from. Right. So now I have a pretty good idea of what qualifies, <laughs> especially since I cook it myself. I have a pretty good idea of what qualifies as good and what qualifies as not very good. Mm-hmm. Do you have like, is this dishes. all mental qualifications or do pretty you keep much, lists? Yeah. Okay. It's just no, all in I, your I, head. I don't keep lists. <laughs> but I'll remember it when I go to a restaurant. I'll be like, oh shoot, I've been here before. They have yeah. good mac and cheese or, or whatever mac it and is. cheese wasn't very yeah. good, so maybe I should try and order something else yeah nice yeah I'm also a creature of habit so I get that I tend to or stick with kind of the same things um Adam is not like that (laughs) he gets all the the crazy weird things that have like squid in it or I don't know something weird sounds about right yeah uh but overall it sounds as though you are pretty in tune with your body like you're listening to especially when you're talking about um sports and what is it that's going to help you perform the best and kind of thinking through that strategy so those are very intuitive things to be able to like look at how food is affecting you which ultimately is where we want to be um or like anytime i'm on the toilet and it mm-hmm. is unsettling i'll be like okay <laughs> what did i eat that possibly could have caused this yeah and then I know. <laughs> yes connecting <laughs> to yeah. yeah how is food affecting your body right. yeah <laughs> maybe not eat that again <laughs> add that to the mental list yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um Cool. So with that all said and all in mind, what behavior changes, mindset shifts, or tools have helped you to improve your relationship with food over the years? That's a good one. Uh, I think the biggest thing for me was in college when I started to try and cook my own meals, Mm -hmm. especially the things that I really like and eat often. Yeah. Learning to make those things for myself or from scratch. Yeah. Kind of gives me an idea of, well, first of all, then I'm eating much better quality food and Mm -hmm. and then I enjoy food a lot more and also it's healthier. Yeah. And then I can start working in things that I don't like as much that I probably should eat more or it's Mm -hmm. like, oh, if I don't eat veggies very much, like, again, it's not always the best to be like, oh, I'm. Like, the only time I intake veggies is when it's in a mac and cheese. But yeah. at the same time, it's like, okay, at least I'm having, getting veggie yeah. intake when I eat mac and cheese. Or when mm-hmm. I add it to pizza, if I know that, like, I'm getting more swollen pizza or whatever. Yeah. It may be. So, 
Yeah. I feel like that was a that was definitely a big one. I feel mm-hmm. like the other thing that's impacted my relationship and and it's because I was just more so what developed my mm-hmm. eating habits the way they are now is when I was younger I did swimming. Okay. I did, uh, three practices a day, so swimming six hours a day. Which oh my goodness. <laughs> I already have a very fast metabolism like yeah even now it's like oh, i really don't exercise that often and i probably intake like six seven thousand calories a day and oh my like, goodness I don't, I that's a very really fast metabolism yeah. yeah and so that paired with six hours of swimming every day was oh like, my gosh i was basically just doing school eating and doing swimming and oh wow and so i was yeah. eating a lot of food because it was yeah. like this is and I, I was still, like, skinny. Like, you could see my rib cage when I got oh up on the block. And everyone yeah. thought I was malnourished. And it's like, no. Just a really fast metabolism. metabolism. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to look less skinny, and I literally can't do it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, if you're having to eat six 7,000 calories without the six hours of swimming, <laughs> like, you're at Michael Phelps level there. Yeah. 10,000 calories a day type yeah, level. Yeah. 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 He definitely eats a lot. Yeah, I mean, I guess you burn calories through thinking that too, and I always, yep, yeah. I'm always thinking. Well, there you so. go. <laughs> Your brain's always working. Yeah. <laughs> Especially when I'm trying to fall asleep, I think about that. Just think about the whole day, things. everything yeah. running in, in hey, your what's mind. What's something random I can think about to not fall asleep? <laughs> oh, no. That's that's the worst time for that to happen. <laughs> uh, but going back to what you were talking about, um, in your survey, you had, you had said it in a way where you were figuring out how to make the food you already like to eat healthier. And I think that is a really great piece of advice for a lot of people because I find people want to eat healthy and they try to overhaul their entire eating patterns and they start calling all these foods bad and certain foods good and just throw everything certain out and that's miserable. Certain foods, superfoods, you might say. No, <laughs> still not falling. I knew you were going to sneak that in there somewhere. <laughs> but people do this thing where they try and they they try and eat quote superfoods that <laughs> society says is superfoods only and none of the foods they enjoy eating. And that is not sustainable. But you adding vegetables to your mac and cheese or to your right. pizza or to the foods that you like to eat, like you said, you're getting those nutrients and you're still enjoying what you eat. And I think that's a great piece of advice. Yeah, I have, I tend to have quite a bit of willpower and it's like, okay, I'm starting to develop my own diet, like not influenced at all by like my parents because my parents would like, even when I was in high school, mm-hmm. my dad would make a meal every night. And so it's like, oh, I only have so much control over what yeah. I eat. It's like, yeah, I have full control over what I eat now. Yeah. And I want to eat healthier, but it's like, I definitely do not have the willpower to just eat, <laughs> like, like, just start eating healthier. Like Yeah. And honestly, I find that usually that's more of like an attempt at control than it is willpower. And it just usually epically fails because food should be enjoyable. We got to eat that soul food. (laughs) Yeah, I tried it at some point and then it was like, eh. Yeah. It's not worth it. (laughs) Yeah, no, you're like, got to go back to all of these recipes that you've worked so hard to craft over the years. Right. So is there anything else that you would like to add? Nope. 
No, you, you said you would say no to that question. <laughs> Great. Well, uh, thank you for being on the episode today, Alex. It's been a lot of fun. Always fun to talk to you. And I'm really thankful for your insights. I do have that last question, though, the one that I'm asking everyone on this season, because I think it's interesting to see what the differences are in personality for this question. So the last question is, what is your favorite food? Yeah, yeah, that's good. Um, I would say Marie Callender's Dutch apple pie. Yeah. And then number two would be cinnamon rolls. And then mm-hmm. those are both kind of like desserts, so not yeah. everyone always counts those. And then... You have um, a whole list. Top five. Uh, <laughs> well, Dutch apple pie, apple pie, cinnamon rolls. And then I would say probably snickerdoodles, number four, maybe mm-hmm. a good snickerdoodle. And then... Um, number five was is probably mac and cheese. You talk about it a lot, so it's got to be up there. There's a few things that it could be depending on the day, but I feel like mac and cheese is the one I eat most frequently and has I am most known for, I guess. Yeah, you are very known for your mac and cheese. I also heard you have a least five favorite food. So I'm not asking other people this, (laughs) but. Because you have all these lists, we, we gotta know. Yes, I definitely have a strong, I, I care more about my top five least favorite foods. Those <laughs> would definitely be cottage cheese, Gross. sour cream, yogurt. I, all three of those are just so disgusting to me. And like, <laughs> uh, like raw salmon, which I've had at like a sushi place before. Yeah. I literally, that, that one triggered my gag reflex. I was, ah, that was, that was couldn't, couldn't handle it. And then broccoli. Which again, I said this earlier, but I don't, I don't find broccoli gross. Like I literally don't mind broccoli, but it triggers mm-hmm. my gag reflex. So, so I'm interesting. Basically incapable of eating yeah. broccoli. Yeah. It's so so it makes sense. Gag. It's on your list if right. it's making you gag. <laughs> right. Which is just so weird to me because I'm like, there are a lot of foods I'd put below broccoli. Yeah. So, yeah. But. <laughs> well, I mean, I think. I'm not, I don't know a whole ton of people who are fans of cottage cheese. <laughs> I like broccoli, but if it was making me puke, I probably, or gag, yeah. I probably would not have it on a top favorite list. <laughs> cool. Well, that's all that we have for this episode. Uh, thank you everyone who listened and we will catch you on the next episode. <laughs>